Well, if you can, uh, please stand with me as we read God's Word. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And before we do read Scripture, I do want to bring up one, or actually a couple of announcements. Number one, there's a praise report coming from the Putnam County Jail. It, it was six weeks uh, that the jail ministry was not able to go into the jail because of overcrowding in different situations. But apparently last week was the first time in six weeks that the ladies were inside the jail. And it was one of the sweetest, most fruitful times of ministry. They went into a new pod, and our church has been granted permission to kind of be in charge of one little section apart from other people who go for the ministry. Uh, I've been told that there was, I don't know how many women circled around the Bible study. Melanie, how many ladies were there last Monday night? Thirty-five or forty women, Every, and that's unusual because most of the time when you go into the pods, you've got several that just lay in their beds or go hide somewhere and don't want anything to do with you. But this, everybody in the pod, about thirty to forty women, sat in a circle in the floor and listened to the word of God being taught, and prayer was given out for them. And that's that right there is a sign to me that God's hand is at work. And that's an amazing thing. Amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter four, beginning in verse seven. The Apostle Paul writes, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. Let's pray. Dear precious Father in heaven, we thank you for this time to hear from you directly in your word. And I pray right now, dear God, that you would calm our spirits, that you would focus our minds to hear. I pray, God, that through your word, we would know your presence. But, Lord, that we would know why it is that your son, Jesus Christ, died for us on that cross, was buried, and rose again. It is not for our selfish gain that all this occurred, but instead, Father, so that you could build a kingdom, so that you could grant to each and every one of us the privilege of helping to build that kingdom. But we cannot do this apart from your gifts, apart from your grace, apart from that grace of salvation that only comes from you. So teach us, dear God, this morning. Speak to us in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please have a seat. As we continue in this wonderful book of Ephesians, let us remember that Paul is writing to a church full of Gentiles. The churches, plural, in and around Ephesus, were embodied primarily of those who were Gentile Christians, those who were of Greek descent those who were not raised or grow up in the Jewish tradition. And so this entire letter 
has been encouraging those Christians, you are part of the body of Christ. You do belong just as much as God's called children of Israel because that was the mystery of the gospel that Jesus Christ died so that all could come into the kingdom. So now we come to this section of chapter 4. And Paul is encouraging everyone as they are one in body and spirit through Christ and serving one Lord in one faith through one baptism. This one God and Father of all has called the church to a purpose. Before we really dig into the text, I want us to think about something that's very important. It's very important that we come to church. Amen? But is God calling us to build a church? And what does that mean when we hear that? A lot of times when we hear that word that God is calling us to build a church, it means, okay, let's raise a lot of money, go through a capital campaign and raise millions of dollars. That's really what it costs now to build a building big enough to house a church. You're looking at a million dollars plus to build a place. Is that what God's calling us to do? Or is God calling us to build his kingdom? Is God calling us to build a church, or is he calling us to build his kingdom? He's calling us to build a church, but our understanding of the church is that the church is the gathering of his people who are part of his kingdom. So, rather than asking God for help in building a church, is it not better to ask God for help in building his kingdom? And that's what I think Paul is trying to get the churches in Ephesus to understand here in this section of Ephesians chapter 4. Paul describes here the diverse gifts in the church that come from Christ himself. Now this text here, this passage, even though it's speaking about the gifts that Christ gives us, it is not meaning those spiritual gifts that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Much different thing here. So let's try to figure out what God is saying through the servant Paul In verse 7, by grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. What is is the single most primary gift that Christ gives each and every Christian? It is grace. Now, but it's not just grace alone of overlooking our sin and overlooking our rebellion. Grace here is the grace of salvation. Christ's gift of salvation to each and every one of us is the primary start to this life in the kingdom by grace verse 7 was given to each one of us according to the measure of christ's gift notice verse 7 is not talking about according to the measure of our skills and according to the measure of our gifts this grace of salvation was given to each and every one of us according to christ's measure according to his grace see christ's gifts is this grace of salvation that is given to each and every one of us You see, this grace, according to the measure of Christ's gift, does not refer to various levels of saving grace. That is a false doctrine that is taught that each and every one of us are given different levels of salvation. Christ pours out so much upon the very elite, and he only pours out just enough for the barely made it. This is not various levels of grace that Christ gives us. Christ pours out the same grace to all. In salvation. Amen? Everyone, from the lowest of the low to the highest of the high, everyone who comes to salvation comes through Christ's gift of grace. This refers to the grace given 
to serve the church which belongs to Christ. It's this grace of salvation that redeems us from sin, restores us back into the graces of God and into his presence so that we can then serve the building of the kingdom. You realize that you were not saved by the blood of Christ at a great cost so that you could just go home and feel good about yourself for being in church today. I mean, unfortunately, that's what's being taught too often. Christ loves you enough. He's given you so much of himself. He has done this just for you so that you can be the best person you are. No. Christ poured out his grace of salvation so that we are no longer who we are, so that we are then more Christ-like and made in his image, and we become someone totally opposite of who we are. This gospel of elevating the self is a poison that has, that has twisted and distorted the church. And so I think what we can see here in verse 7 of Ephesians 4 is this grace was given to each one of us according to Christ's measured gift, not that he gives us different levels or different amounts. He gives everyone the same grace and that grace that is necessary for salvation. Verse 8. Now we look at a quote from the King David here. As Paul speaks about the grace of Christ, he now describes what this looks like. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this refers to Psalm 68. We read that this morning. And this Psalm 68 is a Psalm of David, where Psalm is giving, or where David is giving praise to the Lord for conquering the enemies. And he talks about this heavenly mountain, this place where the one who ascends to the mountain is the triumphant Lord. This imagery of conquering in battle, when you take the hill, the one who makes it to the top is the one who is triumphant and has conquered everyone else to get there. And this is the imagery that Paul is using in this verse here, talking about the grace that Christ gives us. This is the, the, the gift of Christ as he has ascended the mountain as the victor over sin. How does Jesus get there? This divine victor in the Psalms is taken to be Christ here. And Christ gives out of his spoils of war. Think about that. If Jesus has won a spiritual battle on our behalf, to save us from the clutches of sin. Do you not think he has enough power and victory to give us the spoils of his victory? And so here we are, Christ gives out of what he has rightfully and righteously taken by taking captive all of the sin and defeated Satan's army of demons who control our sinful lives. Think about that. And so this grace here, verses 7 and 8, is Christ's gift to us. Amen? Christ has given us something that he rightly has possession of, and that, that what he has possession of is just not something he's gone down here to Sam's Club and swiped a credit card and brought truckloads of gifts to us. It's that Jesus himself has paid a price. He has fought a battle. He has sacrificed all so that we can then have the gift of his grace. 
And so Paul, in reminding the church here, is reminding them of where they've come from, reminding them of the cost for their salvation, and reminding them of their joy in serving the church, of serving the kingdom. Because if Christ descended, that means that he came down from the highest regions of heaven to the lower regions of the earth. He came from where he was to come to where we are. That's what verse 9 means. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? This is not the text in Scripture that refers to his descent into hell on our behalf. That's different. But here... And he ascended, this, in this context, Jesus Christ himself came from the throne of heaven and he descended to where you and I are, right here in this fallen world. And as he was here, he won great battles. He, he won the greatest battle of all over sin. He conquered it. This is where when he descended into the lower region called earth, that is where he suffered and he died and was buried and rose again. Because all of creation is two parts. It, God created in Genesis the heavens and the earth and Christ's descent was what was needed to restore the two parts of of creation back to where God's harmonious design was originally intended and so as we now understand that first of all there is one primary gift that then becomes the foundation for all of the other gifts Jesus is the one who grants us the gift of salvation and now in verse 11 we see a and now a, a breakdown of the different gifts that we now have for the church. Now, this, this list of gifts in, in verse 11 says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. This is not a complete list of spiritual gifts that we have in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Instead, this is a, a, a very specific list here of gifts that God has given to the church through Christ. And, he gave, and, and for the, the purpose of this, these gifts that are listed here are not just for the individual. These are gifts for the building of the kingdom, for the edification of the church as we do the work that God has called us to do in building the kingdom. God has granted us these gifts in verse 11. And he gave what? He gave the apostles. He gave the prophets. He gave the evangelists. He gave the shepherds. He gave the teachers. Now some of us would have been really anticipating, okay, what are those gifts that God has given us? Oh boy, I get to have the gift of tongues. Oh boy, I get the gift of prophecy. Oh boy, I get the gift of, of uh, making money and all that. You know, that, you know, people, we want certain things. When, when you want a gift, do you have a, a preconceived dream of what that gift is going to be? Whenever you hear that a gift is coming, do you lay awake at night maybe or you dream about it, boy, anticipating that gift. But then all of a sudden what, what you get here is a bunch of apostles and prophets and teachers and shepherds. What? They should be gifts. Verse 11, what God has given us through the blood of Christ is something that is very focused and important. Now this list here in verse 11 is actually not a complete list because if you notice something missing, the deacons are missing here. But I guess you could say that the teachers here might actually be included in that. Deacons and elders, like we've learned a few weeks back, deacons and elders are actually granted the, the responsibility in the church for teaching. So perhaps that's where that falls. But think about this. Paul himself is an apostle. And of course at this time of the church we had... Uh, the, the remaining 12 uh, minus Judas as the apostles of Christ. What was their task? God had given them to the church for a, a reason, a gift to edify and build the kingdom. He gave 
these apostles so that we today would benefit from their insight and their spiritual wisdom that God himself used them to establish the church. They were the mouthpieces of Christ to the church in the earliest days of building the church and even today as we have their words that God used to build his scripture, to build his word. So we have the apostles here as gifts. Prophets, the prophets of Old Testament who prophesied and predicted that Jesus Christ was coming, that the Messiah was promised, and that the Messiah would establish a new covenant through grace of salvation. That's a gift. And think about evangelists. We don't think about evangelists much anymore. Evangelism used to be a wonderful thing in the church. But what does the word evangelist mean? The word evangelist comes from the Greek word that we translate as gospel. The euangelion. The evangelist is one who proclaims the gospel, who goes out and makes sure that people hear the truth of the gospel. Every one of us in this room, if we are part of God's body of Christ, if we are part of the kingdom of God, we are called as individual Christians to be evangelists. Have you proclaimed the gospel? Do you have opportunity to proclaim the gospel? I promise you do every single day that you're alive. Whether you stand behind a pulpit and preach a sermon or whether you go to work and you just live the gospel and everybody sees your life as a proclamation of the grace of Christ, that's being an evangelist. And God has given that as a gift, not for us individually, but as a gift for the building of the kingdom through us. And these shepherds here, these would be what we would see as pastors. This is a gift to the church, that we have men who study the word, who love the people, who sacrifice their families on behalf of the church, who sacrifice their lives to make sure that the sheep of God's people are fed. That's a gift. And then teachers, these are gifts. These deacons, these elders, those who teach the word, even to the little children, as we have a responsibility to teach them the truth of the gospel now when their minds and their souls are formable and receptive to the word. Amen? Teachers are important. These are gifts. Now, why does God give us these gifts of apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers? Verse 12, the reason we have these is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to equip the saints for the building of the body of Christ. All of this is meant by God through Christ to equip the saints. This gift of Jesus Christ that he gives us, this grace of salvation, then leads to these further gifts to edify and build up the body of Christ. All of this is for one purpose, and that is to equip you, Christians, to build up the body of Christ, to build the body of Christ. So rather than focusing on building a place, we build a kingdom. So again, think about this. Does God ask us to build a place? Do we build a place to be a church? Is that important? Or is ignoring a place in favor of the kingdom more important? I think the answer here is that it's both. Does God ask us to build a place? See, places are necessary. Places are necessary for us to gather to worship. And if we did not have this place, we would not have a place to worship. That's important. 
Whether we meet in a building, whether we meet out in the streets, whether we meet in under a tree, whatever we do, we're meeting in a place. So places are important. We need to build a place. Places are necessary for worship. Places are necessary to be able to teach. Places are necessary in order to foster discipleship. Amen? That's important. So on one hand, yes, we do need to focus on building a place, but not for the end purpose and the end means of just having a place. Instead, the purpose for the place is so that we can then be equipped to build the kingdom. That's what Paul means here. Of course, when he's speaking here, he's not talking about building churches, like church buildings. He's focused on building up the body of Christ. You see, the focus from Paul is that Christ gives the gifts necessary to build the body or the kingdom. He gives those gifts necessary. But all of those gifts come through the grace of Christ that bought our salvation. So here's the point. If we as Sovereign Grace Baptist Church are gathered here as we feel God has called us to be here, are you coming here to be equipped to do ministry? Are you leaving this place every week? Are you connected during the week through phone calls and emails and things to be equipped to do ministry? That's the question. If we are not doing that, if our focus is not to equip ourselves to be doing ministry, then we are not doing what I think Scripture is telling us we need to do. Amen? Whatever that, I mean, what does that look like? That means, of course, gathering together and encouraging each other in fellowship and communion together, building a community of Christians so that we equip each other and support each other uh, relationally and building that loving bond between each other. That's a huge value to equipping each other for the kingdom. Amen? I don't know about you, but I, I, I hate being alone. I mean, trust me, there's times where I, every man in this room understands you've got to have your cave time, right? Got, got to be able to sit and think. That's important, but that's not the end all. You do that so that you're then strengthened and restored to go and do the work that's necessary. That's why we have that. So there's a both hands. In other words, if, you, if we're just hermits and staying by ourselves all the time, that leads to really just weakness and death, spiritually, emotionally, physically. So coming together in a community is part of equipping each other, right? Coming together and, and serving each other's physical needs helps us continue to have the strength to do more. Coming together and collecting our resources so that we can do more together than we could ever do alone is important. And resources is more than just finances. Finances are important, but resources also means Skills also means encouragement, also means prayer, calling up each other, writing those notes of encouragement and say, hey, I prayed for you today. That's important. Those, whatever skill you've got. Some of us can build things. I mean, literally, if we were to build a building, we've, I think we've got some men in this room who could actually do some building, right? Swing a hammer or two. Those who have that gift of hospitality, 
is a wonderful thing that benefits us all. But when we leave here, the question here from Paul is, God has given us Jesus Christ and poured out the grace of salvation through him so that more gifts will come to strengthen us. We are not called to be the church and left alone. God has called us to be the church, and he has provided for us everything necessary to build us up emotionally and spiritually and physically so for the one and single purpose to build his kingdom. So again, does God ask us to build his church or a church? Or does God ask us to build his kingdom? I think that's what Paul is talking about here. Now, verses 13 and 14 really wraps this up. What's the end purpose here of being able to provide all that is necessary to edify and love the church and strengthen it? Verse 13, all of this comes for the purpose until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. It's interesting that Paul uses the language here of mature manhood and no longer being children. There comes a point in every family where the children grow up. Now, that's painful. It's painful. The children leave home. They may call us maybe once a week if we're lucky. Or they may pester us to the point that we just wish they'd go away. I don't know. Or they may just abandon us all together and just send us a card once or twice a year and say, everything's fine, Mom and Dad. Right? But it's interesting here that, that the purpose that Paul is relating to here in building the kingdom, he's saying that we are not, even though we are God's children through the blood of Christ, we are not to stay there. There is a goal in mind, and that means to grow up. I mean, as much as I love our boys, there, there is a time where they're men. Each and every one of us in this room who are adults, there was a time when you were a child, but now you're not. And as much as I love the little ones in our church, and I wish that they would stay that way, they're going to grow up. So do we, I mean, this imagery of growing up from childhood to adulthood is important here. As Paul says, the purpose of all of these gifts of edification, the gifts of prophets and apostles and evangelists and shepherds and teachers, is to equip you to grow up in your maturity, to grow up in your spiritual walk, to no longer just take the milk, but eventually be able to eat that wonderful steak. Because you are not here to just be fed a baby bottle for the entirety of your life. You are here to grow to where you can then go and teach others and encourage others and influence others. You are to grow spiritually in Christ together 
for the purpose here in verses 13 and 14 of becoming grown men and women in the measure and the stature and the fullness of Christ. We never stop growing as Christians. Even to the point of our senior years, we are always growing because we've never quite meet God's fullness in Christ. There's no way for us to be fully in Christ until we get to heaven and we stand there before the throne and we are embraced by Jesus himself. And he says, welcome home. We're always learning. We're always growing for the one purpose of being able to serve and to love on and to equip others in building up the kingdom. We want to draw the non-believers, those who do not know Christ, we want to draw them into the kingdom. And the only way that happens is that through God and His Son, Jesus Christ, we are equipped to build. So my prayer is this. That every one of us, as we are growing as Christians here at Sovereign Grace Baptist Church, that we grow to the point of maturity in Christ. That we become less and less unstable and more and more secure in the love of Christ and in the life of Christ. You see, maturity is a sign of stability. Maturity is a sign of focus. And maturity is a sign of commitment. You ever been around a little kid who, whose attention span is maybe a minute? You ever been around a kid like that? That's part of being a kid. That's part of the fun of being a kid. You are so interested in everything that you can be interested in. I mean, you are... Your, your mind is all over the place and whatever is fun in the moment you're attracted to. And part of that is great as a kid because you're exploring the world. But there comes a point that every child, boy or girl, will kind of focus in on something they're really, really interested in. They're going to focus in on something that they're really, really good at. And that becomes their life's vocation. That becomes their focus and their passion as they mature into adulthood. That's what Paul is encouraging the church here. God has given you everything necessary to build the kingdom and to encourage you and to edify you and to build you up for this one purpose, and that's to grow up into the mind of Christ. What does Sovereign Grace Baptist Church look like under this message? under this, this teaching in the Word. Folks, I ask for your continued prayers for us as a congregation that we continually ask ourselves, what's the next step? doesn't mean that we just go running out into the, blind, into the wilderness blind. We, the last thing I'll ever want for us to do is to become so complacent that we become very lethargic when we come to worship. I want us to be so excited about building the kingdom that whenever God says, here's the next thing I want you to focus on or I'm preparing you for this next move or this next ministry or this important role in the kingdom, I want you to be alert, ready, and prepared. No, let's listen to the word of the Lord. Let's listen to his calling. Let's listen to the spirit. Let's listen to each other as we encourage and edify each other and we 
follow the will of the Lord. Amen. As needs arise in this community, as needs arise in this, when, we, when needs arise here, I want us to listen to his voice and watch his hand move and let him direct us because he's already prepared us or he's preparing us now for it, whatever that looks like. Matt and Melanie are, have asked us as a church to pray with them as they consider a calling in missions. That hasn't gone away yet, has it? Are we, are we encouraging and equipping Matt and Melanie and their children for that possibility? As Paul Atkins in the back is studying at Clear Creek Baptist Bible College, Paul, have you, has God told you what's next yet? Okay, when he does, let us know. Are, are we encouraging his family in this? Are we encouraging each other? Some of us in this room are, are really prayerful about a different job, the next thing. If that's God's will, let's encourage each other so that whenever that door opens, you become, the, you become the hand and the body of Christ in that new place. Bill Camp could not be here this morning because as the manager of a retail store, sometimes on Sundays he has to step in and, take and fill in the gaps. He had to do that this morning. As I, I mean, I prayed with him through text message. You ever pray for each other through texts? You can do that. I, I prayed for him through the text message this morning. I said, Bill, we are saddened that you can't be here, but may God use you to be the light of Christ at your work today. Are we encouraging each other that way? Hopefully here at Sovereign Grace Baptist Church, there is enough here to begin to edify you and strengthen you. I would love for us to get to the point where we could have more focused, independent Bible studies of small groups and things like that. That's a prayer of mine. From the children to the teenagers to the adults, that we can pray with each other in smaller groups and study Scripture together to further edify ourselves. That's one element of our church I would really like God to provide for. Praying for that. Amen. So my, I want to close with this. Remember that God has given us gifts. Actually, he's given us one singular gift that then provides a multitude of lower gifts that are necessary. And that all, all of the spiritual gifts that we see in Scripture come from Christ himself through the salvation of grace. As God loves us enough to save us, as he loves us enough to give us what we do not deserve, to redeem us through the blood, through that gift, he then gives us all that we need to carry out and to build his kingdom. Wow. That's huge. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that worth saying amen about? All right. Amen. Let me close this in prayer. Father God, we thank you for your promise of salvation through the blood of your Son. This grace that you poured out to us and granted us salvation, Lord, is a gift that we could never have asked for or deserved on our own. But dear Lord, you love us enough to send us your Son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us through his life of perfection, through his death on the cross, through his burial, and through his resurrection. He conquered sin. He conquered the demonic forces that were controlling our sinful lives. 
And through that, he is the victor. And through that, he has the right to give us the spoils of his war. I pray, God, that you would teach us how to rightly use those gifts, how to rightly teach, how to rightly encourage, how to rightly love and to shepherd each other so that we then become your kingdom. Lord, forgive us when we fail to do that. And forgive us, God, when we do not edify each other correctly. But through your love and your grace, you can overcome even our failures and draw us to depend upon your mercies every single day. I pray for Sovereign Grace Baptist Church that you would equip us to serve each other, but then to serve the community of Allgood in Cookville, Putnam County, Overton County, White County, this entire region, Lord. If you can use us to build your kingdom, we want to do that. And we know that you will provide all that is necessary to encourage us spiritually and to encourage us in our faith. I pray, God, that all that we say, all that we do, brings you glory. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.